This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome in to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I am Doug Scott. I am joined by QB11 and Drew. And of course, Hithliday is back with us again to talk defensive personnel, defensive side of the ball with uh, for Oregon's 2023 season. Welcome in, gentlemen. Welcome back. It's been a long time since we last spoke, about five minutes here. Um I know that I'm actually like a lot more interested to have this conversation than I am the offense. I think there's a lot more to talk about here. I think there's a lot more room for improvement here. Um, and I'm actually super interested to get to get Hithliday's perspective on all of this. So I'm ready to jump in whenever you are, Doug. Yeah, let's just uh, have Hithliday remind our listeners where they can find his work real quick. Uh Sure. I, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. I also uh, host my own podcast. It's called It Never Rains on this podcast. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the Oregon Ducks roster. Let's do it. All right. Uh, yeah, Hithliday is always a popular guest, so our listeners are happy to have him back. I'm sure they enjoy the offensive episode we put out, and now they're going to get to hear everyone talk about the defense. So let's start just kind of at that overview level. I mean, obviously the defense last year was – not great, um, particularly on third down, which was uh, disastrous. Um, and, and you know, the defensive failings led to, um, you know, probably the two losses that, that toward the back of the season. So let's get into that just kind of at a high level. You know, what do you see as differences maybe in this year from a decent defensive standpoint that give, um, we'll get into the personnel side, but, but maybe the structure um, or, or some other factors outside of specific personnel that could lead could lead Oregon fans to believe uh, a decent jump in in the defensive efficiency could be in the cards for this season. I think uh, I'll go first real quick. I think, and it's funny. I know Hithliday shares the sentiment because I heard him talk about it on the Quack Twelve podcast when he did Oregon's roster review over there. So, quick, another quick plug: um, this defense is going to be a lot more minty. Um, there's the personnel fits the scheme that Dan Lanning and the staff prefer substantially more. Um, and I actually really like the addition of Chris Hampton and some of the things that they were doing at Tulane um, that he's going to be bringing to the table. So I think that, I think we're going to see this defense take quite a big step forward here in year two. Yeah, it's difficult to imagine that it wouldn't, uh, you know, the personnel is a better fit for what uh, Lanning wants to do. Um, it's, it's 
And on top of that, second year in the system, you know, uh, unlike the offense, you know, as much as the offense, I'm not expecting big changes. It is having, you know, getting a new play caller and, and you know, somewhat different, uh, you know, scheme that's inevitable. Whereas the defense, you know, it's going to be the same um, and it's just going to get more of, uh, you know, schematically, you know, deeper, in, you know, into the min defensive, you know, principles. Uh, and, you know, the, you saw the same thing, you know, at Georgia, you know, it took a, a year for it to really, you know, set in when, when, uh, you know, Kirby Smart brought that over from Alabama, you know, and, and changed up what Mark Rick was doing for a really long time um, at Georgia, even though it was a very talented team. Um uh, you know, it, it's uh, the the basic principles. You know, for uh, to, to to recapitulate briefly, um, is that in modern college football, the pass can hurt you more than the run, and so the 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 it's a it's a three down defensive structure. Um, and the the main thing that you'll notice from a strategic perspective is that the linebackers first and foremost play the pass. They drop back and play the pass. Um, they are built like pass defenders. Uh, they're sort of leaner and rangier, uh, longer bodies, um, and, uh, and and they're more like you know they look more like defensive backs. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you can immediately appreciate when you look at the inside linebacker room that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to that unit, but like they've replaced guys who are sort of built like traditional linebackers who sort of look like fire hydrants, um, with guys who look like nickelbacks. Um, in fact, a lot of them used to be nickelbacks. Um, and, uh, uh, because that's, you know, what they want. And the, the sort of trade-off with that is in order to, stop the run uh, there there's you know the, you can't just stop the pass uh you, you have to do something to stop the run we've seen defenses that try to only stop the pass like washington under Kwiatkowski, and then every time they played a big game they would get humiliated by stanford or oregon or ohio state or you know whatever um uh, so the, the you, you got to try to stop the, the run somehow. Um, and the way that you do it in the mint defensive structure is you get a fewer number of bodies, but bigger bodies up front to plug up those interior gaps. So you get a nose tackle, you get a couple of uh, big defensive, you know, uh, uh, guys, you know, up front, to plug up the, the A and the B gaps, and you spill the running back out so that those guys who've dropped back to uh, play the pass initially, uh, when the running back spills outside they have time to come down and kill the running backs called spill and kill philosophy um and so you're you know the running back is you know maybe going to make it to the outside but you kill him before he gets any significant yardage um kill him figuratively not literally uh anyway the <laughs> Uh, uh, so the, the, the thing that's interesting about this structure is they've definitely accomplished the first part of that goal, um, in terms of mintifying the back end of the defense, the linebackers, the defensive backs are definitely all pass players. They've hundred percent accomplished that. No question about that. The question that exists for me um, is, you know, what you have to do to balance that out in the front end of the defense, um, in terms of being able to, you know, stop, uh, uh, you know, the, the front end in terms of a, uh, uh, rushing the passer, uh, where there's a huge amount of turnover, uh, um, uh, 
uh, and B, you know, plugging up the 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 run gaps, you know, with the with, with a fewer number of players without any help or immediate help uh, from the linebackers because they've turned over that unit too uh, of all the run pluggers uh, from the inside linebacker unit. Um, and, and like, and what they've replaced them with are new guys and and a lot of true freshmen, very talented uh, new guys and true freshmen, but you know new faces you know definitely new faces um and and when qb says like you know they really did a lot of work to change this roster boy he's not kidding you know uh, uh as i did my work to, to preview the entire pack 12 i sure encountered a lot of teams that had bad defenses much worse than oregon oregon ranked number 51 in uh, f plus which is you know, it's not, it's lower than what their talent rating should have, you know, given them, but it was still an above average defense. The average would be 65. Um, and it was still the fourth best defense in the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 had a bunch of terrible defenses, right? You know, there are a bunch of defenses in the 70s, 80s, 90s, in the hundreds, you know, there were terrible defenses in the Pac-12. And yet a lot of those defenses responded with you know, not overhauling their defenses at all. They did not take advantage of the lifting of the um, the the initial counter cap uh, or and the liberalization of the transfer portal to completely overhaul their defenses the way that they should. A couple of schools did, you know, Colorado being the poster child for it, but also Arizona, Arizona State uh, uh, did as well. Um, uh, uh, USC did a little bit of work, not as much as they should have, in my opinion. But anyway, Washington had a terrible defense. They didn't overhaul their defense. UCLA should have overhauled it a lot more. They didn't. Oregon really did. They went, you know, even though they had less work to do, they went hard, harder than just about anybody. Um, and uh, it remaking this defense. And boy, it really shows. Oh, my God, does it show. 100% agree. Doug, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I'm just excited to see it play out. I, you know, maybe this is maybe this is the Homer optimist side of me talking, but you know, I kind of thinking, I'm hoping because we need to, right? Be, obviously, we're going to get into all the personnel changes across the all levels of the defense, particularly in the second, second and third tier, which I'm excited to talk about. But I also think the year two effect. Right? I think the transition to this defense is is significant um i think it's you know substantially different than what they were doing before and, and you guys can correct me if you d disagree but I, I you know i'm hoping that the year two bump on the defensive side of the ball is really going to show out um in addition to all of the other changes that are being made from a personnel standpoint so i i'm i'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see a, a a notable improvement in defense just from all of the factors alone that we've talked about yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that in, they didn't just count on the year two boost, though. They also they, they also actually went out and made substantive changes to the roster. So I think it's a good place to start. It's probably yeah. the place where there's been the most change is the safety room, and more specifically at nickel. Hithleday, you want to get us started with that? Oh, we're uh, going to jump to the back end first? Oh, you want to do the back end? We can do the back end. Um, okay. Let's, let's start with nickel. No. So, <laughs> Sorry. So the... Well, the, I mean, the nickel is the position that I think sort of like ties everything together because the, the, uh, you know, the, they brought back getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. They brought back two starters at the safety position. They brought back Steve Stevens and Brian Addison. Um, but I really think for a couple of years now, uh, you know, that they, they have, you know, it's not that they played terribly, but they didn't, they, they, it was 
they didn't grade out that well. Um, and I think they needed a challenge and, you know, they brought in multiple guys in order to challenge them. But I, you know, uh, the, the, they brought in Taishim Johnson um, from Ole Miss. They brought in Evan Williams uh, from Fresno. But when I was watching the film uh, of those guys, I wasn't certain that I saw uh, somebody who uh, I thought was going to replace them at nickel. Um, and I, and when I was watching the spring game, the guy who caught my eye was Cole Martin, the true freshman and uh, cornerback coach uh, Demetrius Martin's kid. And it's my bet that uh, Cole Martin is going to wind up winning the starting nickelback job. And then my predictions for the rest of the way that the secondary room goes uh, proceeds from that observation. I think that it's uh, that the starting nickelback is going to be Cole Martin. Um, and, and then, you know, from that point, I then make my predictions about safety in the cornerback room. What do you think about that QB? So, I, I think that it's going to be someone with more of a cornerback skill set starting at nickel, but I'm going to go a different direction there. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Jaleel Florence hmm. um, from some of the things I've heard, and I also think that Taishim Johnson's skill set fits probably best at star based on what we've seen him do. Now again, that they played a pretty funky system at Ole Miss, and so um, despite him being a quote unquote safety, he actually played almost more like a linebacker for them. Yes. Um, because they didn't and, really have linebackers in that stupid defensive system they run at Ole Miss. Yeah, they didn't. And so, like, uh, for all I know, Tyshim Johnson could be a way better deep safety than I'm giving him credit for. I think um, he is. That is my take. I, I will shut up about it, but that is my take. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's an unreasonable take based on the film that I've seen. But I, I, I know for a fact that he's a really, really strong tackler. And he's somebody that, like, if if asked to play up around the line of scrimmage, is going to be a very effective player there. Do you disagree with that? I disagree with that. I do not think he's a strong tackler. Interesting. Okay. Um. Yeah. I'm. I mean, we can agree to disagree on that. Based off what I've seen specifically, I thought he was a, a good tackler, and I thought he took good angles. Um. In pursuit, I mean, and- I agree that he takes good angles to it, but then. He's five ten, man. I would. I watched him got. I watched two years of his film at Ole Miss. I watched him got run over a lot. Now it's true that they were using him as a quasi linebacker, and it may be that they, if they, he's in a different role, playing different. You know, that 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 they may wind up improving. But you know, in, in that position in Lanning's defense, he's gonna you know be having to take on big running backs and tight ends, and I don't see that working out. I think his body type is much better suited to play deep safety. I think that's where. He, his uh his in his mental skill set is better safety uh, is suited for i think that's what his speed is better suited for is to take the angle to pursue wide receivers and bring them down fair enough yeah i, I don't really disagree with that and i think we talked about this a little bit before we started recording i think that oregon is going to be in a position where they're looking to play uh more with a third quarter on the field and so whether that's cole martin whether that's the little Florence or somebody else, I think that it's going to be a corner that mans the star position. Now, again, it depends on who you're playing, right? Like if you're going to play a team that's going to line up um, and try to run the ball at you nonstop, then you might, you might play with a little bit different personnel, but a lot of the teams on the, on the schedule this year are going to try to air it out. And I think that we saw the most effective game for Oregon stopping and limiting big plays through the air was the Arizona game where they played Gonzo in the nickel. And so, um, 
really interested to see how they kind of approach that from a, from a system standpoint. I definitely agree with that. I definitely think that I, I agree with the that uh, argument about uh, the three corner system. I agree that they should have done it more often in 2022. I think that they are going to want to do it more in 2023. I hadn't heard of the possibility of playing Florence at cornerback, although now that you bring it up, it's a really intriguing one to me. Um, uh, or at least, or, or even if not the, uh, the well, I don't know if you noticed he did it in the spring game. Uh, I mean, I, the, he, he was playing outside corner and then I saw him flex in, but they had like a couple different guys flexing in, uh, at nickel and including a guy who's now no longer with the team. Like, uh, so, um, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, but what really popped to me was, uh, you know, how much, you know, Cole Martin was doing and he was doing as a true freshman, I, you know, and he was playing with the defense that I would characterize as the ones. Um, although that's it's not a super cut and dried thing from the spring game. Um, uh, at, at any rate, like I definitely thought the Cole Martin uh, looked more technically advanced uh, than most true freshmen are, although that's not a huge surprise. It's almost like when you grow kid. up in the household of, yeah. a, of a power five coach that you have a little bit of a leg up in terms of skill set development. But yeah, I definitely think that, you know, a corner oriented rather than a sort of safety oriented uh, nickelback is definitely the direction that they want to go. Um and, uh, yeah, I, I think that what, uh, I think that freeing up Johnson to play, well, I definitely, yeah, I mean, I stated it already. I think that freeing up Johnson to play is the deep safety and specifically to challenge, uh, uh, um, Ryan Addison. Yeah, exactly. Or, or to have Addison go back to his 2021 role as the dime player when they go to a six DB package, like makes a lot of sense. I also, and I, before we get off Brian Addison, like I actually thought he played better as the year went on last year. And I think he's someone that too. like is at least going to put up a fight. Like I, to me, I, I don't, again, I, if a player listens to this, I apologize, but I don't look at Steve Stevens as someone that I anticipate playing a very large role this year. I, I think, think that Brian Addison... is going to be taken away by Evan Williams. I love Evan Williams film. Oh yeah. Evan Williams is awesome, but go ahead. I'll let you go with that first. Well, yeah, I think, I think they brought in Evan Williams to replace Steve Stevens, just straight up. Just yep. like, yeah, that's it. You're, you're done, Steve. It's Evan's job. Now, Evan Williams being the younger brother of Bennett Williams, um, who's but having a completely uh, different skill set. Yeah, I know it's it's interesting. Yeah, they have different body types uh, and everything. But like Evan Williams has been starting with Fresno for I think four straight years now under like three different coaches. Um, uh, interestingly, like I I wrote an article about it and and uh, and walked through the history. Uh, he's he's been places, man. Um, and his dad is Gary Williams, who played DB at, at Cal and was actually in on the play. If anybody remembers that one. Um, anyway, Ev- Evan Williams is cool. Um, and. Uh, 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 and, and uh, uh, tackles just like his, yeah, you don't want to get tackled by that guy. Uh, he tackles like his brother, but he's a better athlete and he has way better range and coverage, yeah. Um, and, and uh, all the problems that I have with the way that like uh, Stevens takes angles and goes into his tackling form, I do not have those uh, issues with Williams. I, I think that, that in terms of like straight upgrade, you know in the offensive side uh we talked about guys that they brought in to be straight upgrades i don't think that you can find a better example of transfers they brought in to be straight upgrades than williams and stevens yeah i agree doug do you have any takes on this room 
So we kind of were bouncing around. We've covered nickels and safeties both. Is that what we've kind of done here? Well, I think... Yeah, good. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that QB brought up the pro- proposition of, of taking Florence out of the cornerback room, uh, but it's important to have covered, you know, the way that, the, that nickels relate to safeties and nickels relate to corners. Uh, uh, but... Yeah. I, I think I don't think it's I wouldn't describe it as taking him out. I, I think you're I think maybe you're being a little too rigid in the positions. And, and when you hear Coach Martin and Coach Hampton talk about it and when, um, you know, when you talk to people who are at practices, I, I think there are guys that they are they are, you know, that are practicing in multiple rooms across the back end of the defense. And and I don't think I mean ultimately maybe when you get close to the season you you pick one and you're a corner or you're a nickel but I actually wouldn't I don't think that's true I think that might be true with safeties obviously but I think yeah. I think there's going to be guys that flex I think that nickel specifically is a lot more ambiguous positionally like I think that there's going to be times where you want to play a guy with more of a safety skill set more of a box banger um, or um, there's going to be times where you're going to want to play a guy who's more of a corner skill set and a coverage guy. Right. And so um, I don't I would not classify Florence playing the nickel, meaning that he's not a corner anymore. Yeah, the thing that, that's, that's a better relevant, way to say it. Yeah. The thing that's relevant about this, you know, in case anybody missed the news, is that Jamal Hill, who is a returner uh, and was, you know, nickel since 2019 for Oregon, has been moved down to the inside linebacker room. It was a really interesting move. And we'll talk about that shortly. But like, uh and makes sense for a variety of reasons. Um, but it means that like, you know, you, you might think that Oregon's shorthanded here, but actually I think, you know, for their safe, you know, for the safety slash nickel positions, they're actually way deeper and way more appropriately deep, you know, with these positions than they were last year. Yeah. yeah and I think, I, I think Jamal Hill, I think the move is going to be good for him. And I think it's going to be good for the nickel position because I, I think, he had his moments at that position, but I think when you watch over the last couple of years, I think that's a position that needed to be upgraded. So my take on Jamal Hill is that he he wasn't a bad safety. I mean, he actually played more deep than nickel last year because Bennett Williams was man the nickel. Um, but he's not a, he's not a bad safety, but he's not a plus safety either, right? Like he's just kind of a replacement level guy at safety. But when you take that skill set and you move it to linebacker, where he was an okay cover guy at safety. He becomes a plus cover guy at linebacker. Exactly. Um, and it, but it amplifies his skill set. That's really good is that he's a really, really good tackler and he's really fast. Now let's put a pin in that for the linebacker conversation. <laughs> uh, okay. Anything more on safeties or nickels, or do you want to move to the, to the outside corners? I'm concerned about depth at, at the say the deep safety position. Cause if Steve Stevens is on your two deep to me, that's a problem. Um, I, I like Johnson. I love Evan Williams. I, I actually am totally okay with Brian Addison playing snaps, um, but I would prefer if somebody else were to step up as the fourth guy back there. Like a Tyler Turner or a Damon David or somebody like that. Yep. that we have I mean, they bring back Damon David. They bring back Kamari Terrell. They recruited, oh, Terrell, you know, yeah. two blue, they recruited two blue chips and Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra. Uh, they have plenty of bodies. And then Steve Stevens and Brian Addison are – are are you know have a ton of experience like a there's a ton of bodies like they have absolutely the appropriate number of bodies and they're all blue chips i don't think it's an inappropriate amount of bodies i just i'm like in proven depth like we need whether it's uh 
whether it's our our guy Tyler Turner or Cody DeCambra or Damon David, we need somebody. I would like to see somebody else step up as the fourth guy uh, and prove to be a competent, playable player. Uh, the, you know, the only note is that, you know, Damon David was injured in spring, so we didn't get to see him in the spring game uh, in, in terms of like assessment. But, you know, he's been on the team since 2021. Uh, you know, he, if I had to pencil somebody in as doing it, it would be him. It's just we didn't get to see him in spring. All right, let's move to corners then. Uh, this is a room that, you know, obviously doesn't have a Chris Gonzalez, you know, level player at the top who's the clear number one lockdown guy. But it, it has, I think, you know, five, I'd say if you include Jaleel Florence, as, as we talked about in the last segment, if you include him in the room, I think there's five guys that, you know, are in line to compete for the two deep at this spot. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out there. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll run first through this here. I think that the starters will probably be um, Kyrie Jackson and Nico Reed, which I'll be interested to hear um, Hifflade's take on this. But I think that Triquez Bridges is, a, is all obviously a solid player who started games um, for Oregon, and I think that there's a ton of young talent, and I think that there's some freshmen in this room uh, that are going to push for minutes as the or push for snaps as the season goes on, whether it be uh, Roderick Roderick Pleasant, but even more so Dalen Austin. Um, and that's not counting guys like Jalil Florence. Um, so I think this is a much, much deeper corner room than we're used to. Yeah, Hithley, before you jump in, let me just say, if you don't know, QB is the charter member of the Dalen Austin fan club, and, and I don't blame him. So I, I don't have a, a prediction for who wins this uh, room. In fact, I have no idea. Like, this is the one room where I, I'm just like, beats me. Uh, I, I just refuse to 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 weigh in on it because it's it's i mean it's really interesting um i'm just going to be fascinated to see who comes out of fall camp you know on this one um uh, what i will do just for the listeners benefit is, is sort of i can cluster these guys into different like buckets um and sort of just like I did with the wide receiver room in the offensive uh, side of things, like show how it, you know, they planned out different layers and different plans um, for, for, for the way that this cornerback rooms works so that, uh, you know, uh, different, you know, the A plan, the B plan, the C plan, um, you know, gives them different options. So you've got two guys uh, with extensive uh, starting experience, but, you know, uh, have a bit of a talent ceiling. Uh, those guys, I would say, are Triquiz Bridges and Nico Reed. Um, Bridges is sort of built more like a safety, but he's been playing cornerback for a long time. Uh, you know, Oregon fans have observed he's sort of not the most natural, you know, cover guy, but he's a fantastic tackler, which I think is an underappreciated skill. Uh, like, you, you know, you don't get anything, you know, after the catch with that guy. Nico Reed is like the opposite. He's been a, a starter uh, at Colorado uh, last year. I just finished my film study project on that guy. I really love his technical skill in uh, in coverage. He was trained up by uh, Coach Martin um, before Martin in 2021, before Martin left for Oregon in 2022. Um, and uh, I really like his coverage skills. The problem is the guy's 5'10", um, uh, which is kind of a change for Martin. Like if you look at his history, like at Washington, Arizona, and UCLA, and uh, and Colorado. Like he tends to go for, for taller guys and like his tackling form is terrible. Um, and he sort of misses out on some of the things that being a taller cornerback gets you. So like, okay, the, you know, a bit of a ceiling there. Um, but like established floor, right? So those are your floor guys. Um, and, and then, so the next bucket, uh, you've got guys like, uh, uh, Manning and Florence and Kyrie Jackson, where I left out Manning. Shoot. 
uh, yeah, you did leave out Manning. What's up with that? Uh, Manning and Florence and, and Jackson, who are all blue chips. Um, in fact, Manning's a five star. Had, had you leave that dude out again? Um, I don't know who uh but who have all been like backups you know they all had backup minutes uh, uh manning and florence at oregon jackson at alabama um but who don't have starting experience um uh you know they're sort of on trajectory to become uh, uh starters and, and like their ceilings are really high uh and so like if one you know one or more of those guys you know live up to their ceiling they should outperform the floor guys but like you know, we'll have to just see how that plays out. And then you have the true freshmen. I've actually got four true freshmen, um, but like t- two of them, Solomon Davis and uh, Colin Gill are, are three stars. I sort of think those guys are going red shirt, but the, you know, truly exciting guys are Roger Pleasant and Dalen Austin. Uh, Roger Pleasant's one of the fast, fast men on the planet, like ridiculous. Uh, like he's embarrassing people in, in camp apparently. Um, and uh, Dalen Austin just, I mean, just incredible um like you can tell why uh, coach martin wanted that guy he's like a prototypical uh demetrius martin cornerback um and never say never uh you know like both christian gonzalez uh and uh michael wright and uh and uh hell the willie taggart uh pair were playing as uh as true freshmen so um you know never say never um it's sort so it's an interesting layer you've got a couple of floor guys you've got a trio of backup but high ceiling guys and then you've got like exceptional high ceiling but true freshman you know guys so like should be an interesting fall camp plus like qb wants to steal one of them to be the nickelback yeah i mean i just there's it's kind of um in terms of talent there's just so many guys that i feel confident in their ability um it's just gonna be a matter of who steps up and 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 kind of earns those minutes i think that I think that the primary rotation at corner will be Bridges, Reed, Jackson, and Manning, uh, with Florence also being involved in that. But again, I think he's primarily going to play nickel. So um, I, by either way, that's a much deeper group than you walked into last season with. And I, like you, really like Nico Reed. The only thing I would say about him that's negative is I thought he was a little tentative last year at times, but he was also starting for the first time on a really bad football team. Yeah. So. Um, but the, the skill set, the speed is there. It's kind of funny. They, uh, um, coach jaws put out a, uh, thing with the fastest guys on the team and they were all defensive backs, right? It was Kamari Terrell. It was Dante Manning. It was Jalil Florence. It was Kyrie Jackson. It was Roderick Pleasant. Um, and it was Nico Reed. So tons and tons and tons of explosive athleticism and ability in this room. Um, I have zero questions or doubts that this is going to be, uh, one of the more talented rooms on the team just going to be a matter of like how how ready are these guys to rock and roll i mean i think that uh it at this point having watched his career for this long i will go out and say i think that coach martin is the best cornerback coach in the league he might be one of the best cornerback coaches in the country um whichever guys he winds up selecting and training up uh he's going to make the right choice uh and and out of this range of options you know whoever wins is going to be pretty good yeah, I don't, it, I don't really. Yeah, I think worry you're going to have depth, right? Like you're going to yeah, have, have a ton of depth. If you're if you want to play nickel and you want to play three corners, you can. If you want to play dime and you want to play four corners, you can. Yeah, um, to the point where when you said Florence to to be the nickel, uh, I, I didn't freak out. I was like, yeah, they could afford that, and no problem. I, I think yeah. part of that is just like let's get our best players on the field, right? If yeah, if Florence is one of our best players, but we but you know the third corner, if he's the third corner or whoever the other third corner is, is, is one of our better cover guys too. Let's get them all on the field versus 
playing a you know someone who maybe is a notch down. Right. So let's. And I think that will end up being the case. I think Florence will end up being one of the best players in the secondary this year. I mean, he was getting substantial, you know, backup playing time as a true freshman. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah. He's, and that's and he's that. just he's just loaded with physical talent, right? Like guy that ran a 10-4 in high school with his length and his size, like he's going to be good. I Again, I, I feel like the this room is well positioned um, and layered, to go back to that word, not just for this season, but, you know, going forward, right? So obviously Bridges will be gone after this year. You know, Kyrie Jackson, I think, is has plans to be a one-year player. You never know how that works out. But, um, you know, even beyond that, you know, you have a lot of talent, you know, from a freshman, you know, to, to a sophomore and a junior that are, that are in the room. And it, it's, it's well set up for the foreseeable future. And, and obviously they're going to continue. They have two more guys uh, in this coming in class that, you know, that will continue to add to that talent pool as well. Anything more on the corners or the defensive backfield in general? Before history is written, Played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. No, I think we've covered this group really well. Okay, well, let's take a quick ad break and we'll come back and talk about linebackers. All right, we are back to talk about the linebacker units in the uh, 2023 Oregon Ducks defense. Um, let's break this up. Let's let's talk strictly first about the inside linebackers, and and maybe you can go through the nuances of are they different? Are you know is, are they different positions? Are they the same position? Are they interchangeable? I think we're all agreeing. There's there's four guys who are probably in the rotation at these two spots. And maybe we can figure out which ones at which one at which spot. And then you know, like there's there's a couple of uh, backups who some fans were were excited about. You know, one or two of them coming out of the spring game. Uh, you know, maybe others are, have a little bit more realistic take about that. It seems like a four man rotation, but you know, what do you all think? I mean, it's pretty clearly a four man rotation. Who 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 besides the top four would it be? I, I'm I agree with you. But there are people. I mean, there were some. There were some people that were making the assumptions off the spring game that Devin Jackson was going to be part of the top four, and I I think that's a bit of a reach at this point. Not saying that he can't be a good player. I'm not saying he's not going to play. Um, But I, I I don't put nearly as much stock into spring game performances as most. I think it's more useful to see where guys are playing um, from a from a positional standpoint and a system fit standpoint than it is like what the actual like outcomes of plays are. I think before we talk about the specific players, I just want to note, like, you can really divine intent based on body types in and out. So there's been three inside linebackers that this staff has recruited in the two years that they've uh, been here that, have, they, you know, excluding the 2024 class, which hasn't got on campus yet. Um, and, and those guys are uh, Devin Jackson, Jerry Mixon and Harrison Taggart, who has transferred out but they did recruit him and 
all three of those guys share a body type, right? Like those guys, you know, they're all like long, lean athletic bodies, right? They're like 6'2", 215 or so, um, you know, right in that body type. And like, that's not the Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, you know, body type who are like 240, 250, you know, uh, uh, type uh, or, or Jackson LaDuke, uh, you know, or, or Justin Flo, you know, like not to say that those guys are bad players. I'm not trying to like say that, oh, they were Mario Cristobal players or, or Tim DeRuiter or the previous like or Andy Avalos or, 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 you know, previous defensive coordinators that they were bad guys because they were in the previous staff. I'm saying that like, you know, like nine out of 10 defensive systems, they got linebackers who's like their primary job was to come down and plug the run because like that's what linebackers do. You know, it's literally in the name. They back the line uh, and and simply the mint defensive structure or the tight defensive structure from which it derives in Chris Hampton uh, and a couple other of the coaches have experience with uh you know they're pass stoppers and they're built like dbs and that's what the three guys that they recruited you know uh got and so then look at the guy that they um or, or, or the two guys that they got out of the transfer portal justin jacobs who's six four uh and was playing a sam and in, in iowa's four three system which who plays outside the box like over tight ends and split out receivers and is really much more like a defensive back than anything else connor soleil who uh is also you know an outside the box you know linebacker and arizona's goofball defense don't make me talk about arizona state's defensive system uh and uh and then you know jeffrey bossa can uh, who's a returning starter uh who beat out justin flo for the position you know converted safety jamal hill we already talked about who's also converted you know nickelback uh right um and uh devin jackson you know already mentioned jerry mixon already mentioned right so like this whole room has transformed so that like i think the heaviest dude in the room is they're all like two, 220 pounds or lighter with the exception of uh, Justin Jacobs, who's 240 pounds, but that's because he's so tall. You know, he, if you look at him, his build is like a slimmer man's build. Like, yeah, they have substantially transformed the, 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 the entire inside linebacker room so that they all look like bean poles, not uh, fire plugs. Yeah. I mean, I think that this just kind of goes in line with the idea that like Oregon needed to get faster at linebacker. And so, um, and, and I think that the body type and the preferred body type is a lot different um, with this staff than it was with Mario and Ken Wilson and that staff and, and Andy Avalos. Um, and, and so with that in mind, they, there's a, been a premium place now on recruiting guys that can really run sideline to sideline. The spill and kill system, right? Like we're getting bigger, longer, and girthier on the defensive line, and we're getting um, a lot faster uh, and more dynamic on the defensive on the uh, sorry on at linebacker, um, and so yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is going to be um, so um, sorry. Is it Soleil? Soleil. How do you pronounce it? Soleil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Soleil, um, Jacobs, Hill, and um, Bassa in no order. I don't I don't really care what order you want to put them in. Now we'll figure it out when the season gets started. But I think those are going to be the four guys that play the primary minutes, and then. Hopefully Devin Jackson can develop into a player that's playable um, and can give you some stuff there too. My guess would be, I'm fairly certain that Jacobs starts. And then I think it's going to be an interesting fight between Bassa and Hill um, for the other starter. And then I think that Soleil is sort of destined to be a backup is my guess. Yeah, but, but I'll say this, and I've said this about Soleil since I watched his film. He's a better player than Oregon fans are giving him credit for. I agree with that. Like I think it's he's just that he's be... a little short. 
is is the thing. Like, yeah, I, but he's he, not quite ideal physically. In the same way, though, that that Bassa got to the right spot and can run really well last year, um, Soleil can do that, but he's also a much better tackler. I do like the way that he um, he squares up and and, and tackles. Uh, like I, I wrote a uh, the the film review article that I wrote about Jacobs. Also, I covered Soleil in it, and I reviewed his film at Arizona State, and that's definitely the highlight of his um, of his the film clips or the way that he squares up and tackles is great. Uh, yeah, well, I really well, like his and his like his story as a football legacy is really interesting too. And he also can run. Like that's the other thing. Like. He's not, you're not giving up athleticism with him. Yeah. He can really go sideline to sideline. And as an edge, like as more of like a Sam linebacker edge player last year, I thought the way that he took on blocks, shed and tackle was really impressive, which is something that like to be able to have that skill set while being able to run sideline to sideline is something that's like, it's a good, it's a good thing to have in the room. And I, I want to reiterate, like, I know I just said this, but like, Hey, look, man, uh, uh, you know, some people transferred out who like I like and who had good seasons, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, Keith Brown had a good season. I, J- Jackson Luke came back from an injury and I thought played well. Um, uh, Noah Sewell got drafted. I, I still think that Justin Flo's athletic potential is through the roof. And if he oh, weren't like constantly injured, um, you know, could have been developed into a good player. And we'll see how he does at Arizona. I think that fans just sort of write him off as constantly being, you know, out of position on the one hand aren't wrong, but on the other hand, like those are correctable things like that dude, if he gets it together, like look out. Um, it's just that like their body types are not mint front body types. Um, and this is, and you can't see any more obvious example of how this staff decided to, mintify the the defense than the way that they changed the inside linebacker room um and 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 not by you know taking players who were bad and getting good players that's not how this works you know it, it is how it works at some other positions but you know just like better fits better fits for the system like yeah it's very very clear that they did it and it was very very deliberate and the last thing i want to say because i want to have this out there i i've heard that Jamal Hill has been exceeded all expectations at linebacker for the staff. Um, and so I'm really, really excited to see what he looks like um, come, come game one. I, I thought, have, I thought he looked natural in, at, in the spring at linebacker. I, I will, I will reiterate that the, the, the people that I have talked to that have been at the spring practices would keep in mind when he was, you know, first converting over, have said the same thing that he was the best linebacker in the room consistently throughout the spring. Yeah. And, and if he is, if that's true and that isn't just off season hype and that becomes reality, then him and Jacobs is going to be like that. Uh, hopefully that could be like a nice upgrade over what we played last year. I really enjoyed watching Jacobs film, especially like tackling. Cause his lead, oh my his, gosh, his arms are so long. Like the way that he gets leverage with the way that he, he, he can tackle because of the leverage of his arms is just, it's such a treat to watch. Um, like, yeah. If you're yep. getting a, a starting linebacker from Iowa. Yeah. I'm going to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, hey, Hif- Day, you you and Doug are you're both Tolkien guys, right? Like you've read Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Uh, of course. Like Jacobs is a spider. He's Shelob. Like he's gonna wrap. He's just got so he's got unlimited length, and so he's just gonna like he's gonna get you in his little spindle, 
and he's just going to wrap you up. Like he's just, that's just how the kind of tackler he is. Like if he gets a hand on you, you're done. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that, that, that film was really a treat to watch. And like, I, I've been having to watch a lot of big 10 film lately. And I don't find a lot of treats uh, <laughs> among the athletic t- talent in the Midwest. Uh, and that was an exception. So uh, that was fun. So anything more on inside guys? No. Okay. Then uh, before we move to outside, I, I kind of want to set the table uh, or get uh, how we want to do this. Right. So we have outside linebacker, we have defensive end, which in this defense is different. And then we have like edge rushers, edge players. How do we want to divide that up for this conversation? Just so I can steer the conversation. I, I kind of categorize everybody who plays that outside linebacker as an edge. And so that's how I would do it, but it's up to you and Hithliday. I mean, I think I can specify weak side, strong side, and five tech. Um, but well, I also think that it can be fluid. Let, let's yeah, leave the said, like, five I, tech defensive ends for a, for the after the break when when we get to the defensive front right. and, and stick with the other two. I just think they're largely interchangeable. Like five. I mean, I, I don't think that Brandon Dorless is going to be playing the weak side end. Like. No, but he did at times last year. I, I think that that's the big addition of Birch, right? Yeah. I think that gets you away from needing to do that. All right. Okay. Let's well, just let start me, talking about outside linebackers. Uh, I <laughs> think ahead. the guys that if you want to talk about guys who are not outside linebackers, then I think the guys that should be reserved for the subsequent conversation, please just tell me if you disagree, QB, are Brandon Dorless, Matayo Uyangalele, and Johnny Bowens. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Perfect. Okay, so let's talk about everyone else I think, now. In I this think Uyangale can play both, but yeah, I think I think that Doorless. I th- um, I think Uyangale backs up Doorless this year. I I would agree with that. Yeah, him okay. or Birch. So l- let's reserve that conversation then. All right. Well, why don't you get us started then, Hith? Okay. So the, the I mean the salient thing here is that um it, it is that Oregon. <clears throat> Uh, does not have any of the guys who played uh, outside linebacker uh, last year with only a couple of exceptions. They basically processed out uh, everybody. Um, and I think we all know the reason why they basically weren't getting the job done. Um, DJ Johnson was drafted in the third round by the Panthers. Um, I think they liked his physical upside, you know, as we have observed ever since he got uh, to Oregon from Miami, like he's a bull rusher par excellence. <laughs> like no one can stand up to him in a straight up fight. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> um, and then nobody could beat him out. Uh, you know, Braden Swinson couldn't beat him out. He transferred out. Uh, same story for Anthony Jones, same for Jaden Navarrete, same for Jabril McNeil, same for Brandon Buckner, um, and Masio Lafayasi uh, medically retired. Um, so, you know, all seven of those dudes are gone. Um, uh, uh, what they have done for the edge room um, and uh, the five tech, the three guys that I said that we should reserve for the yeah, um, the subsequent conversation for, for those you know positions is basically is very interesting in that they have three very experienced guys. Um, one, a transfer, Jordan Birch, um, and then two returners, Brandon Dorless and Mace Funa. And then everybody else is a redshirt freshman or a true freshman that we essentially haven't seen before. So it's like this, you know, you know, 
you know, top side upperclassmen, you know, underside freshman thing. And with like, there's no gooey middle um, in between. Uh, and that's the sort of bet that this staff is making. Um, and it's, you know, if there's a point of failure um, for this defense, and that is a possibility, I, I think that Oregon fans need to confront this as a possibility, um, is that like, they're going to be relying on freshmen as backup players and like they're talented freshmen and there's multiple, you know, ones for each position. So it's not just one freshman at each position, there's multiple freshmen. So they'd have to strike out twice, but mm, it's a possibility. Uh, but yeah, you know, they rolled with freshmen. Um, uh, other than Birch, there's no transfers into the edge uh, room. It's freshmen, freshmen, freshmen that they're going with here. So like they really, you know, contrary to what I was saying in the last, the offensive podcast in which they went with transfer offensive linemen, that's not what their strategy was here. Um, they relied on their recruiting of defensive linemen at the edge position, outside linebackers at the edge position, which is like, wow. Wow. Well, I think that the, the positions that are the hardest to recruit in the portal are edge and tackle and offensive tackle. Yeah. And, and the fact of the matter is, is they got their top guy at both in Birch and Cornelius. I know. Um, but I, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. But then to turn around and then get the quality and quantity that they got at the prep recruiting ranks on the edges is, is it's going to be interesting to watch, right? Because it is a bet. They're, they're, those guys are not all going to hit right away. There's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some development. But I'm, I'm you're just obviously hoping that whether it's – and I, I kind of do include Uyunglele in this because when you're playing your nickel front stuff and you're four down, like he's going to be one of the outside rushers. I agree. That's why I, I – you know, Doug said we should reserve it, so that's why we're doing it. But, like, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll take it. I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat. Just um, talk about who you but, want to talk about, okay? But whether it's Blake Purchase or Ashton Porter or um, Mateo or Jordan Birch, like they need, they need some of. They're gonna have to play these guys, right? Like Jordan Birch is obviously gonna play, but the other three right. guys, those freshmen, they're gonna have to play. Um, and so I'm gonna be really interested, interested, interested to see. Um, what kind of quality reps we can get out of any of those guys? I mean, the, the thing that's astonishing, you know, so I did my film study project on Jordan Birch, you know, who's a five star. He played at South Carolina. He was the first of all of the transfer film study projects I did because it was like, this guy's essential. Um, and, I, you know, I really, really liked his film. Um, you know, uh, you know, um, he doesn't quite have the same uh, total super elite amazing first step as Kayvon Thibodeau does, um, but every He's other actor, uh, he is a little bigger though. That's definitely true, um, and he doesn't take plays off. Um, uh, 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 Which, sorry, not to interrupt you, but to, it's like that's actually worth noting because he doesn't take plays off, and he played an astronomical amount of snaps last year. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, his level of, pro, uh, of just like, you know, on the field, just like he is affecting every play, you know, every play, uh, you know, astonishing, like, and, and a smart player to read my article. I put like eight film clip compilations of the guy just and like three of them are about how smart he is, where he's like diagnosing the play in real time. Um, uh, it, yeah, I really like Jordan Birch. Really like him a lot. I think he's your, you know, weak side OLB, who's where the pass rush comes from in the structure of this defense. I think that he is very clearly a net upgrade over DJ Johnson in that he's supposed to be playing this position. Um, and that, you know, yeah, constitutes 
an upgrade. And I think that Oregon will actually have a pass rush this <laughs> year. Um, I think behind him, this is my guess, is the retro freshman of Marion Winston at Weekside OLB, um, and maybe Blake Purchase, although he hadn't come yet, come in yet uh, for the spring game, and then uh, maybe Jaden Moore, who had come in for spring, but he was injured. What What do you think about that, QB? I think Jaden Moore, the reason I didn't mention him is I think that just based on his physical body type, he's probably a year out. I think he needs to get bigger and stronger, but yeah. maybe he... But maybe maybe he can find his way onto the field as a pass rusher, offering some speed. But I just think that the other guys physically are a little bit more ready to play than he is. But do you think it goes Winston purchase behind Birch? I would bet on purchase beating out Winston. Okay. Um, I just I think he's a way superior athlete. It's just you know he's a late arriving true freshman, so you know. Yeah, we'll but, have to see I, to, but to be honest with you, like, and again, this is where. I, I will definitely admit my biases. I purchased as one of my favorite guys in last year's class. Um, like, I think he's a really dynamic pass rusher, and I think he's going to be a guy that gets on the field early. And then on the strong side, uh, sort of similar story. So they didn't have to go to the transfer portal. They already had him. It's Mace Funa, right? Like who's, you know, been around forever, right? He's been around since 2019. Uh, he's very reliable. Um, you know, uh, you know, big guy, uh, transformed his body quite a bit, you know, over the course of time mm -hmm. that he's been at Oregon. Um, you have to understand that in the structure of the mint front, the strong side, uh, OLB is an edge setter. Uh, he's not really where the pass rush comes from because he plays on the strong side, right? That's where the tight ends are um and that's what strong means uh and um and, and like he does that job great it's why he got the pick six in the wazoo game it's why he almost got the pick six in the colorado game it's why he knocked down the ty thompson pass at the beginning of the spring games like just it's the way that that strong side will be placed it also means given that the pac-12 usually plays 10 or 11 personnel uh you know the strong side will be is the guy who comes off the field when they go to the nickel configuration which means like you don't see the strong side you know uh you know on a lot of snaps that's why you might not not see Mace Funa all that often, but like, yeah, that, that's his job. Uh, and he's great. You know, he's very reliable. Um, I think the primary backup behind him is uh, Coach's kid, Tatum Tuiati. Uh, yep. That's my bet. Um, and I've heard that he's had an awesome fall camp already. Yeah. Um, I think he's in line to be, you know, when, when Funa's done at the end of this year, I think he's in line to be the new starter. Um, and I have and a he... guess uh, that Ashton Porter plays strong side OLB too. I agree. Think. Yeah. 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 Again, I, I just kind of group all these guys together because in nickel downs, they play, they're, they're manning the outside spots. Yeah. Um, but I think that Tuioti um, will back up Funa. And I think he's, I, I don't know if it's going to be much of a backup. I think they're going to play pretty even snaps. Yeah. And then just because I don't know where to put him. Um, because it's sort of the, the odd duck of the group is Jake Shipley, um, who's officially listed as an OLB. I think he's sort of more of a defensive end. Um, he was injured in spring, so he didn't get to see exactly where they were putting him. Um, and he's sort of lower talent than the rest of the guys, too. Um, I'm surprised he's still on the roster. I am, honest, too, yeah. to be perfectly honest. So we'll just sort of have to, have to wait and see about uh, Jake Shipley. Um, before we move on to the position, uh, I, I will say that, like, of the 11 guys in the edge room, you know, of which I include uh, Dorlis Uyangale and Bowens, and remember, Dorlis, stupidly, was rated as a mid-three-star. He shouldn't be, uh, like, his talent level is like a five-star man like i was incredible like the talent level of this room averages out in the 247 composite composite to a 0.9140 like in this incredible you know birch winston purchase more doorless uangale bowens funa tuiati porter and shipley with remember doorless and shipley being mid three stars averages out to a to to a mid four star like 
uh, are you kidding? This line is like super bonkers talented. It's just that of those and 11 guys for three spots, tons of depth. It's just that six of them are, are freshmen, you know, yeah. like you know it's it's a very young room now the three guys who are going to be starters you know birch doorless and funa are all very very experienced guys very very reliable guys i think you know will probably be nfl guys um it's just like you know behind him them which necessarily and birch will be for sure uh i think that funa could could make it uh uh, uh, the, the, it's, it's just that like, and necessarily you, you rotate your backups, you know, uh, at these positions, you know, they, they got to get Gatorade, you know, unlike some other positions where you play, you start straight on through the game. Like you're going to be seeing freshmen on the field, you know, Oregon has no yeah. choice, but to play freshmen on the field, you know, at these positions. And, and they chose to go with them with this, instead of getting transfer players, which is like very interesting. Well, when you recruit well and you recruit good players, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with this philosophy because you don't recruit good players to just bring in transfers to play over them. Like you recruit good players to play yeah. them. Um, and so I mean, there's it's gonna, not there, what USC did. There's right? going to be some, there could be some growing pains with that, but I think you live with those growing pains because the upside's massive long-term. I mean, go, go, you know, find a team in the PAC 12 that didn't go take a bunch of, you know, transfer based, you know, edge players, you know, USC, UCLA, Washington, uh, every Colorado, of course, uh, you know, every one of them are filled up with transfer based, you know, edge players, Oregon did it with freshmen. Like it's, it's quite a bit, which is, uh, I mean, I know what strategy I'd take because you know, going back to what QB said earlier, like there is a dearth of, quality edge players in the transfer portal. I mean, the whole cycle, there was very few of, of a high quality. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, let's take another quick break and then we will come back and finish up with the, the front. All right. And now we're back. We have one more kind of group of players to talk about here in our defensive breakdown of the Oregon 2023 roster. Let's talk about the, the front guys, the, the, in, the interior defensive line guys. Where do you want to QB? You want to set the table here? Um, yeah. I mean, off last year's team, you lose uh, Jordan Riley, who was a transfer in Brett from Nebraska, really productive, well, not productive, but a, an effective player um, as a nose tackle, ended up getting drafted late. Um, and then other than that, everyone returns. Um, so, bringing back a ton of guys, including Popo Amave, who didn't play last year because he got he was knocked out for the season um, during the uh, during the uh, fall camp last year, so basically almost a year ago. So getting him back, Taki Taimani's back, Casey Rogers is back, Brandon Dorless, I know we mentioned him with the outside players, but he also will play inside at times, um, is back. Keon Ware Hudson is back. I mean, just a super, super deep room. And that's before you get to the guys that actually get me really excited, which is this incoming freshman class. This room uh, runs like five deep. It's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's actually fairly easy to split up these guys into specific positions. We already mentioned the guys who I think are going to be playing, you know, wider, at the, you know, the five, uh, you know, uh, Dorless and uh, Uyangilale and Bowens. Uh, Dorless is really fascinating, you know, because like as, you know, when he was initially came in in 2019 and was playing as a true freshman under Andy Avalos, like he was really playing almost exclusively interior, like three. And uh, as he has aged, he's A, gotten 
gotten bigger, but B, you know, played more and more wide, like to the point where in the spring game, he was being like a stand up seven. It was like nuts. Like, uh, you know, he's, you know, I, I, I just love the guy, you know, so much anyway. Uh, um, uh, uh, I, he's, he's an extraordinarily valuable player and extraordinarily versatile, uh, and you can play him in multiple spots in multiple, like, you know, against multiple different offensive configurations in multiple different down and distances, um, you know, where, you know, the, the offense may be showing heavy run or they may be showing heavy pass, uh, or a heavy tendency towards pass. I mean, um, and, and like drills will be valuable to you, um, regardless of what that situation is, which is not something you can say for, uh, a lot of guys who are 290 pounds um, and sort of pigeonhole themselves like, you know, definitely not the case. Um, I think real quick on Doris, let me just jump in here real quick. You know, one of the things I think that really um, kind of hurt our defense last year is if you go back to 2021, he was very effective as an interior pass rusher on passing downs, right? You, you bring out and bring in an edge rusher, bump him down. And, and he had a lot of success rush rushing from the interior. And then last year, because of the absolute lack of outside mm-hmm. edge rushers, he was rushing a lot more from the outside and, you know, and hoping with the, the better depth at the, at, you know, more of an outside edge rusher, if he can get back to that role of rushing from the interior, that could be a real weapon for Oregon again. I'll also say, uh, uh, since QB agreed with me, uh, I think that Uyang Lele um, has an excellent upside uh, for this position behind uh, Dorless, um, you know, playing wide, uh, you know, the wide end. Um, and that, you know, there's been some discussion about playing him at tight end and, like, oh, you know, Oregon's tight end depth, you know, may necessitate that. I sure hope not. Uh, like, I really want him to play, you know, um, this position. And and I think shoring up the tight end room with some of the, you know, Casey Kelly and others, you know, allowing Uyunglele to play, you know, defense where God, you know, wants him to it, it will be good. 100% agree. Okay. Don't waste guys with that skill set at tight end. It's stupid. Uh, Bowens, do you agree, is uh, is also at this position? Yep, 100%. Okay. I think, and I think he'll play this year. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that too. I, I don't. I, again, it's going to be hard. Like how how big of a role? Tough to say. It'll be dependent on injuries. Um, but like from a quality and talent standpoint, I think he can play. It's just that there's a lot of upperclassmen depth with a lot of experience. Okay, I'm going to flip all the way inside and talk about the noses. I think there are four. Um, Taki Tamani, Tamani, yeah. Robertson, uh, Pome. Pome. Yep. yep. Agree. Uh, so Taimani returns uh, as a starter from last year. He was the UW transfer. Um, uh, UW fans didn't think he was very good because they're morons. Uh, Amavai <laughs> uh, 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 returns. He has good odd years and bad even numbered years um, in that his uh, 2020 was a mess season and his 2022 he was injured. But this is an odd numbered year, so this will be fantastic for him. Uh, he, he had great tape in 2019 um, and, and in 2021, uh, so I'm really looking forward to this uh, year for him. Uh, ben Roberts was a, a is a redshirt freshman this year, but he played a little bit as a true freshman, like enough to retain his redshirt, so uh, good depth there. And then uh, Tavita Palmae is the true freshman who came in. We saw him playing in the spring game um, uh, at the nose position. He's 315 right now, uh, you know, today, uh, which means, you know, given that all this position has to do is two gap, right? He could play. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like I, in an ideal world, you don't have to play Pome a bunch. Um, but yeah. I'm like the guy I'm actually really excited I think they'll about play him is, as much as they played Ben Roberts last year. Yeah. And I think Ben Roberts is going to play a lot more. And I, I think Ben Roberts is actually a really good player. 
Um, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Hithel Day, but just from watching, I, I don't have any year. thoughts about him because he only played in four games. What I do have thoughts about is they run four deep at nose tackle, which is something that no other team that plays a three down front in the Pac-12 can say. There are multiple teams that ostensibly run a three down front that don't even run one deep at nose tackle. Yeah, and I can't wait to see Popo play, and hopefully he can stay healthy because when he's healthy, he actually gives you something as a pass rusher too, which is pretty oh, yeah. rare for a nose tackle. Yeah. Like he, he's 304. He doesn't quite look 304, you know, like he looks more like he's like 285, you know, and then he gets on the scales and you're like, Oh no, <laughs> you're much bigger. Like there in that 2019 USC game, he started yelling at Strimling, which is like, you shouldn't do that. Um, but it's like, he looks like he's going to grind his bones to make his bread. Hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying how much bigger he is than Strimling. Yeah, no, I, I really like Popo, and I thought Taimani was solid last year, but he was also playing through some injuries. And so what does he look like without a little bit with, with, with less of the bad weight, um, a full healthy offseason? I think he can be a really productive player. And again, like Ben Roberts is a guy that excites me a lot. Um, I thought he played well in garbage time last year as a freshman. Um, and I think that, again, they kept him around for a reason. I think he's a guy that's going to play. Oh, yeah. Four deep. Four deep at the nose tackle. Can we, talk, can we talk about the group that really gets me excited? Yes, yes, that... yes, definitely. I just wanted to get, you know, yeah, that's what we're doing. I wanted to get them out of the way because, like, you started listing them in random order like you were mixing the four eyes in with the nose tackles. And I was like, what are you doing? So uh, I, I think they have five guys who play four eye. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. So the returners from last year are Casey Rogers and Keon Ware-Hudson. Um well, I could talk about all, all day. I really like Ke- Casey Rogers and Keon Weir-Hudson. Casey Rogers came in from Nebraska with Coach Tuiati. Um, uh, he played uh, very well uh, last year. You know, he's a mid-three-star, but he plays way better than that. Um, uh, he was the guy who got all those tackles for loss in the Utah game um, because Andy Ludwig runs a super predictable offense, and if you do 10 seconds of film study, you know exactly where to go to blow up the run. Uh, and um, I swear to God, 10 seconds is all you need to do. Um, or read my article. It's really easy. Uh, and Keon Weir Hudson returns as well. I really like Keon Weir Hudson. He's really coming to his own. Uh, this will be, I think, his fifth year with the program, right? Because he came in in 2019. Um, so uh, I think those guys, you know, will be your starters. Uh, those are two great guys to have. Uh, you know, Weir Hudson was a, a blue chip in 2019 class. Um, uh, you know, those guys are great. Those guys are your floor athletically for the three true freshmen who come in who are just like fantastic body types um for the position uh you uh mikhail gardner uh enrolled in the spring uh 62275 and then um the fall enrollees are uh terrence green 65265 and amari washington 64295 uh blue chips holy crap just like astonishing I'm going to skip over everybody else because, again, I, I know what Rodgers and where Hudson are, and I'm excited about them. They're both good players. Um, but Green and Washington, to me specifically, are, the, are like two of the most exciting guys in the class. Yeah, we didn't get and to they're... see him in the spring game, too. So, like, that, you know, our first opportunity is going to be Portland State. And, like, I'm sorry, Vikings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my game. That game is going to be. That's going to be a bloodbath. Um, it's going to be beautiful, though. And, but just like. We have not gotten a lot of body types like Terrence Green and Amara Washington. Um, and we're starting to stack body types like that with this new coaching staff. And so that gets me really, really excited. I think Terrence Green specifically is going to be an absolute freaking monster after a year or two in the weight room. Um, 
And Amari Washington, right there with him. I think they're both elite mm-hmm. athletes with incredible size and, and, and frames that actually still have a lot of projection left in them. Um, it's just going to be a matter of them learning how to play college football. Um, and I don't think it's going to be too steep of a learning curve. And I think that they have one of the best coaches on the team coaching their group. And the thing is, they're perfect for four eyes. You know, like that's – look, I've, I've yeah. been doing this for a long time, and I've, I've been watching like Pac-12 lines for a long time. You, you don't see these on Pac-12 rosters. Or to the extent that you see big guys on defensive lines, it's just like this was the biggest guy I could convince to come to my school. And, yeah, his body type doesn't really fit the defense that I run, but I can't afford to worry about that. He's, you know, bigger than 250 pounds. <clears throat> and since all we feed people is kale and quinoa here, like, uh, we just that's all we can do. And like, nope, not these dudes. Uh, like they're, well, this is like, you gotta the go out of I- region to get them. Yeah. This is the ideal, you know, frame for a four. I like, d- like if I, if I had sci-fi powers to design human beings, uh, which I don't, and that would be evil. Uh, but if I did like, yeah, I would make human beings who look like this. Like, yeah. So, and, and I want to make two, two comments on that. The first one being, my Taylor Gardner, to me, like this is the position he'll play on base downs, but he's more of a three technique. I think he's someone that you're probably projecting as more of like when you're playing your even fronts because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't have that ideal length. And that's really what separates this class in general is that not only are you getting size, but you're not just getting the roly-poly-oly body types that you see on the West Coast a lot of times where it's like, yeah, you have a 300-pound kid, but he's six foot. And he's got mm-hmm. short arms. Like these are six four, yeah, six so five, like six six. The long guards arms. or whatever who have long arms just sort of jack them up, and it's like I don't care how big you are, you're not getting past my guard. Like, yeah, yep, yeah, no, I mean, the, yeah, and they're explosive athletes too. Like, the, you're they're not just fat bodies; they're actually big, explosive, athletic guys with good length. Like, this is a really like long term. Like, this is a really exciting group. Yeah, it's just astonishing. It's astonishing that, you know, having one of these guys would be astonishing. Morgan has three. And they yeah, have and them behind two established excellent starters. That's what look, I was gonna say is is across the front, right? Like I can't like we're of... not even we're paying like lip service to Casey Rogers and Keon Ware Hudson, <laughs> right. who would blow anybody else's starters out of the water. Well, I'm yeah. saying the same thing at the nose and at, at you know, and at the, the big, yeah, this group, this too, group right? is like you have this so like stacked line of seniors and, and upperclassmen who, who are, are amazing. Right. And then, but behind them, like now you have all these true freshmen, redshirt freshmen that are going to get to play this year, build their bodies, get build in the program and then step like seamlessly in to take over for those upperclassmen. And quite frankly, the, the younger guys probably have a higher ceiling, right? And not, no, no short, no, no knock on the upperclassman guy, but just, just the recruiting profile and the, and the athletic profile we've been talking about. Right. So it's just, it's just how you build a program that, that can compete at an elite level. And, and it feels like we, we have the, we have these positions just stacked and ready to bear. That's going to carry us out. You know, obviously you gotta, you gotta do it again every year in the recruiting, uh, you know, the recruiting game. Right. But, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches for Oregon right now that is that is layered uh, to, to be able to, to sustain for multiple seasons into the future. 
Yep. Well, at the top of the, this defensive podcast, I, I described the philosophy of the Mint defensive structure, and I, I posed an implicit question uh, about, okay, they have you know done the work on the back end of the defense to mintify it to make it so that it you know you know they they remade the back end of the defense that it defends the pass and the question is you know with those reordered uh defensive resources where they have to trust the fewer number but bigger uh, size of bodies uh, to clog up and stop uh, the run, you know, up front, you know, did they accomplish that? Uh, and uh, the interior of the defensive line is the area where it seems like the answer to that question is most resounding. Yes, they get Popo Amavai back. They, uh, you know, they, they, they get Ben Roberts, uh, you know, uh, you know, getting up, you know, to speed for, as a redshirt freshman. They return Casey Rogers and Keon Ware Hudson. They get uh, a four, uh, you know, ready to play, I think, uh, a true freshman, you know, in the interior defensive line describing the nose and the four eyes uh on the edge side they are upgrading uh at the weak side defensive end in jordan birch as a proven commodity and as a five star they have brandon dorless who's you know the most versatile uh you know player uh in, in the pac-12 uh at his position and, and mace funa uh who's an you know an established guy and the only question is at some of these you know edge positions are you know whether the freshmen work out in the freshmen are you know the most talented freshmen in the conference who average out to like a mid four star so it's a bet but like it's a bet with pretty good odds all right anything more in this group or do we want to kind of uh put our capper on this and call it a call it a show no, this group is just what gives me so much confidence in our ability to really just like take that next step defensively. I think like getting better in the back half was a necessity. I think that having this group back healthy, but then also like we're in a position where we don't have to play any of these young guys, but I think that there's going to be a couple of them that are going to be too talented to not play. Um, and that's ultimately like that is like the that is the definition for embarrassment of riches. So. I mean, I think you're going to see these freshmen. I mean, like Jordan Birch needs to get Gatorade at some point, you know, right? Like, yeah, like I think it's important to not play him the same kind of snap volume that South Carolina yeah, like did. Nine hundred and fifty yeah. snaps last yeah, year. Yeah, South something. Carolina. They, they went from having like two guys that like they they played constantly and then went to the NFL and they were sort of like they hadn't managed their roster super well. They 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 just had Jordan Birch and it was like crazy how many snaps he played. Yeah, and, and like yeah, it would be nice if Oregon didn't have to like run him through the ringer like that. But that means well, that you're going to get better quality of pass rush snaps out of him if you don't have to you know what i mean but but what that means and and i hope that that is the case but what that means is playing freshman because it has to mean that they don't yeah they don't have anyone else who isn't freshman everybody else left yep all right so you know we talked at the the top of the show um you know any predictions for Kind of where you see this unit, uh, the the defense as a whole. Sorry, kind of uh, you know compared to last year, or compared to the conference, or you know national rankings, or whatever. How do you see this unit, um, you know, working out this year? Hith, why don't we start with you? Well, 
it, this one's going to be, well, I'm going to give you a multifaceted answer, which no one likes. Perfect. Um, That's what I want. Yeah, right. Uh, this defense was better than most Oregon fans give it credit for last year. You have to remember, like, BYU, Arizona, UCLA all had top 25 offenses, and Oregon contained them pretty well. Um, yes, you know, they they had some embarrassing losses to Georgia. Uh, they fell apart at the end of the Oregon State game. Those games sting. Um, all things considered, this defense, however, and when I charted it out, actually played pretty professionally. Um in terms of, and, you know, considering the fact that it was year one, the system making a transition and they didn't have the, the, you know, the correct body types, you know, in the linebacker room, um, it was actually, you know, a pretty good performance in the sense that they made, you know, the adjustments necessary uh, in order to move on to a successful year two, you know, everything is on track for an improvement um, to, to the defense uh, from what was already, you know, you know, projecting to be an improvement, uh, even if they hadn't made those changes, you know, simply because it was the year two in the system. However, the fact that they made the, you know, this bet on freshmen instead of getting sort of transfer, you know, as, as their sort of middle tier backup players, you know, does create a possibility in my mind that this, you know, there's a possibility like, you know, if, if guys get injured and some of the freshmen are, you know, not quite, you know, ready to play, there's a possibility that, that, that the front, uh, has some problems and, and Oregon fans need to confront that as a possibility that that's how I see this going. I'm not really worried about the, uh, the, the ability stuff to run. I'm more worried about the pass rush. Like that's where it's going to have to come from sure. young guys outside of Birch. Um, I, this is something that, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's goes by Illmatic on the scoop deck boards for those of you who know. Um, he sent me a message where he said that he's like teams that are as good as we were on first and second down aren't as bad as we were on third. Some dumb slash bad luck contributed to that, and that's a big deal when you look at correlation between third down D and overall defensive performance. And and what I take from that is is like if we Oregon needs to get better on on defense on third down, um, and that's that's kind of the area where we were the weakest last year. But I think that based on how good we were or where we were on first and second down, um, that if we are to take steps in the areas we talked about, if we are to get faster at linebacker and more athletic um, and improve at safety, that I think that making those kinds of improvements on third down are realistic and kind of finding ourselves in the top 30, top 35 defenses in the country in F plus, um, which when you consider our schedule of, of offenses is, would be very impressive. And I can tell you, you know, from doing the, the third down breakdown, you know, from film study, it's exactly the positions, you know, where, where Oregon concentrated, you know, for making improvements, you know, in the defense that were responsible for the third down breakdowns. It was, you know, lack of pass rush. They cycled out the entire, you know, weak side linebacker unit. Uh, it was uh, linebackers in uh, in pass coverage. They completely you know, overhauled the position, including replacing all of their body types with, you know, mint defensive structure, you know, uh, body types. And it was safeties. You know, we spent the entire, you know, top part of this podcast discussing how they specifically challenged uh, their returning starting safeties um, with with new guys um, for that position. Um, like, yeah, they directly, you know, like. I, I talked about on the offensive podcast how uh, Will Stein uh, is an analytically driven offensive coordinator. Like when I look at the roster management moves that Oregon made specifically to repair their third down defense. Yeah, it was very clear that the roster management moves that they made on the defense were about correcting third down problems. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the key to me is, uh, the, I mean, obviously the, the pass rush is a huge thing, and I, I think that's that's one key. But the other one to me that I'm going to be watching for is just the linebacker play in general, both in the run game and the pass game. Um, and, and with those new players that they've brought in there, with the body types that you mentioned that, that are that are suited for this defensive structure, like I think if if Oregon's going to take a, a you know the big jump that we all hope and want them to take, you know, on the defense, I think we're gonna we're gonna see that 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 comes at least in in a big part from that linebacker play. I could not agree more with that. The thing I I just wanted to stress is that like Oregon of the teams that are like contenders you know, for the Pac-12 in the final year of its existence, like Oregon has the least far to climb to be, you know, a top level defense. You know, UCLA had a terrible defense. You know, UCLA was in the 90s. Uh, USC was in the 90s. Washington was in the 70s. Like, uh, 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 you know, Utah was, you know, had a good defense, but they're losing a number of the key, you know, players that that contributed, you know, to that in, in their cornerback room and their linebackers and their edge rush. Like, uh, and we'll, we'll probably suffer a fall off. Oregon State had a good defense. Uh, you know, they're losing everybody who contributed, you know, to that. Washington State, you know, is losing everybody who contributed to that. Um, and I don't think their defense was as good as their stats indicated. Uh, like, you know, Oregon has the least far to climb, and yet they went the hardest at uh you know a defensive overhaul well i think we have a coaching staff that understands how to construct a roster better than anybody else in the conference is, that's very clear i was very clear from uh, my pack i don't think i and i don't know who's second but the gap is large i think it's arizona state uh, i mean he wasn't successful uh at it you know it's because he's now in tempe um but like kenny dillingham like it was very clear that uh you know, he, that he, he tried to leave. Yeah. He, 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 he's very clear. He understood what the project that, that faced him. Yeah. And, and, well, it, and hey, it's also been very clear, like, just like how complacent most coaches in the PAC 12 still are. Um, Jonathan and, Smith blew me away this off season. Yeah, with how was, little he, I mean, it was astonishing. Uh, and, and he's not the only one, you know, hell we did an entire podcast about it. Um, and, and like, you know, Oregon was not complacent. Oregon was whatever the opposite of complacent is. Um, they, you know, they had the 51 ranked, uh, defense, you know, teams that had worse defenses were more complacent. Yep. And that's why I have a lot of confidence in this team. As long as Bo can can keep Bo upright, then this team can go a long ways. All right. I think that, uh, puts a bow on it. Don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Hifliday, thank you so much for coming on and spending so much time with us. I mean, these are my favorite episodes to record, and we really appreciate you coming around. It was my pleasure. Yeah, check him out at Addicted to Quack and on It Never Rains on this podcast. And uh, check us out. We've been putting out a ton of, of episodes for you lately, obviously, with all the conference realignment stuff. We're, we're not going to be done talking about the Big Ten. We're done talking about realignment. We're looking forward to the season. We are, we'll probably mix in a little more Big Ten stuff here over the next couple weeks. But we also have uh, Justin coming up this week with some content about uh, recruiting updates and, and maybe some camp updates. And we'll talk about that. We'll obviously uh, continue to talk about um, fall camp as we get closer and closer to the season. And, and man, I'm already we're less than a month away. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm ready. So thanks all for listening and we'll catch you all soon.